Hello and welcome to this very special 150th episode of NCP. Why is it special, David? Because it's our 150th episode. Yay! Wow. <laughs> it's pretty cool. They said we'd never make it, but we finally came through. Sorry, only, awesome. only, only Australian listeners from the mid-80s will even know what that was a reference to. That was to. brilliant. I'm glad so I did that. That was awesome. Uh, so, yeah, so it's, uh, it's not only special because it's NZP. It's special because it's 150th time that we've you know, gotten together and and uh, talked about the things that we love. Oh, that's we do it. We do it for you, listeners. That's true. <laughs> My name is David. And I have been the host for 150 episodes. That's incorrect. That is 100% incorrect. Thank you very much. I've been the host for 99% of the episodes. <laughs> all right, that's, that's more accurate. Yeah. <laughs> there was, there was, there was that one time at band camp. Uh, and uh, the is NCP that what you call them now is it? <laughs> NCP crew, Richard. I've also been a host, despite. Dave, not remembering that I've, I did host. I've altered history, whitewashed yeah. history. Yeah, you probably don't remember. I hosted the episodes that were good. Uh, is, that, is that what it is? Do we need to go back and talk about episode 148? <laughs> no. I didn't host 148. No, but you were meant to. <laughs> <laughs> Only because you didn't want to do any work. Yeah, this guy. All right. so, this is fun. Just make the show about the, the bickering between you two. I'll jump in with insults whenever you need me to. It's only bickering because it's love. Mm. Uh. Look, what I find interesting is that Richo takes credit for the one show that, you know, you didn't do, knowing full well that I was the one who did that. <laughs> no, 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 I did. I was the host of one of the episodes when, uh, when was Dave Ill. was ill. Yeah, you yeah. Yeah, so even you've forgotten how good my... You, you both tried to block it out of your minds because I just shone so brightly. Look, no, it's more... There's, there are certain reasons why we blocked it out of our memory. <laughs> it's not because of um, any high quality on your part. And Crystal. And I have also hosted a show. Exactly. Back, back when we did our excellent acting <laughs> and took over the show, hijacked it from David. So, in fact, we've all hosted the show before. I'm an old man. I've, I, obviously, I've, I've uh, missed... 150 years. And, and I do believe Bo has also hosted a show. Bo has also hosted a show. <laughs> yeah. So, Bo's there you go. So, in fact, well, that's it. We all quit. We've all, we've we've all, all given it, it, we've all given it a go. I'm always the host so, most of the time. But credit where credit's due, David is the host. Yeah. I'm the creator and owner. There you that go. Got that. And that he's edited it every single episode. <laughs> Let's go with that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving on, jeez. Uh, for this episode, we have two dust jackets and uh, just a special segment on just uh, talking about so our past uh, 50 episodes since our 100th episode. We'd had a had a, an awesome 100th episode, and uh, so that we'll just talk about some, some factoids from episode 101 to 150. Well, wouldn't it be technically 149? I suppose it would technically be 149. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll, we'll reflect at the end of this episode on all the highlights of this episode. <laughs> That's it. We should do that. We've had one highlight already. We've already told um, Dave that he's been wrong. <laughs> <laughs> this guy. Anyway, so uh, let's, let's let's get the ball rolling with Dust Jacket number one, as is our want, our tradition. We'll start with... Uh, Richo and Luke this time, and they'll be doing. No, I am going to get Luke to do the name. The Wind Up Girl by Paolo Bacigalupi. Uh, the Wind Up Girl was published in uh, 2009. 
And that's actually part of the reason I, I chose that. We spent a lot of time in the past uh, during um, Dust Jacket. And I thought we really should... Uh, certainly my part of Dust Jacket, where we're doing the sci-fi lists... Yeah, and I, 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 no, I'm sorry for that look on my face. I, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. I just, I just, uh, I don't know. It's, I had a weird reaction when you said it's been the main. main it's one fifty. We're stuck in the past. We're, we're <laughs> stuck in the past. I didn't say we were stuck in the past. I said we spend a lot of time in the past. We review a lot of older <laughs> books and um, yeah, the classics. In, in working out the books for this year, I really wanted to do something that was was recent, was on the sci-fi list list, and was well regarded across the board. And um, the Wind Up Girl is actually number 130. Is it on the list? It is on the list. Well, how, how old is this? I thought the list was old. No, the list... Um, oh, it's ever changing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's an active list. People continue to vote for it. I actually awesome. feel... If I remember correctly, when I first printed up the list, the Wind Up Girl was actually higher on the list. Right. It's been bumped down by... So it's been bumped down a bit. Now we're on Hubbard books. Yeah. So come on, people. Lower. Lower. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. There's, the a, there's a preview for your yes. review. Um, but yeah, so... Um, as I said, published in 2009, it won the 2010 Nebula Award and the 2010 Hugo Award, uh, which it tied with um, China Myville's The City in the City. Um, and it also won the 2010 Locust Award for Best First Novel. So this is a highly praised book um, and was touted as one of the, you know, the, he was touted as one of the big up-and-coming science fiction writers uh, when the book was published, because this is his first novel. Mm. And yes. I'm not going to try and pronounce his name, because I leave that to Luke. Paolo Bajigalupi. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, no, his first novel writes, um, uh, has many written short stories, some young adult fiction. Yep. He's also written a crime novel, and his second um, science fiction novel, The Water Life, has just come out. So, The Wind Up Girl is uh, set in the 23rd century, in Thailand, interestingly enough. Um... Is, and, he, is he Thai? No, he's not. He's actually American. Wow, well, there you go. Yeah. Um, he did spend a lot of time, though, in uh, Southeast Asia researching this book. Cool. Um, and um, in the acknowledgement section, he actually acknowledges the people that let him stay at their places where he was actually there doing the research as well. Um, so it's set in 23rd century Thailand. Global warming has risen the world's oceans and caused all kinds of uh, devastation. Um Fuel sources have pretty much dried up, so that power comes mainly from manually wound springs, uh, which is actually a major part of the backdrop of the story. Manually wound? Yep. Yeah, like human beings? Used as energy storage devices. They're sort of grown with algae on them that... Yeah, this is actually... Actual science could do this. Mm. Yeah, but I'm just saying, how many would you need? I mean, is Lots. It like, is yeah. it like a pocket watch size? No. No, it's no, huge. not at all. So Obviously, if it's huge, bigger, who pushes it? Conan? The bigger the... Wheel the... of pain. Well, interestingly enough, a lot of the energy is generated by um, genetically engineered elephants. Awesome! <laughs> that are pushing, like, the wheels of pain <laughs> and things like that. Elephants <laughs> are awesome. Yeah. Um, biotechnology is sort of a, a dominant thing in this society. There are these huge uh, corporations that genetically engineer food and distribute food because things aren't growing naturally because there are uh, diseases and um, uh, bugs and things that are destroying natural crop, crops. So these, these corporations have to genetically engineer the food. Um, and the corporations are involved in um, corporate espionage, 
Um, they will attack one another. They're constantly fighting to get their hands on genetically engineered seeds from other companies so that they can reverse engineer them. Jurassic Park style? Um, Dobson, we got Dobson here. Dobson. <laughs> Nobody cares. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, they all have their own private armies and, and things like that. So the and, and really a lot of the, the governments of the world have collapsed and the mega corporations have kind of sort of taken over like they have huge influence mm. on the world because they're the ones that are providing food and they can hold back food when they need to and, and so on. And um, mm-hmm. So the, Thailand is actually one of the economies that has survived and in many respects is thriving. And they're thriving because they've insulated themselves from the rest of the world. So they, you know, they have very, very strict quarantine measures and... Um, um, yeah, what a government department that basically burns everything, everything that tries to come into the country. Um, which, of course, flamethrowers type stuff. Yeah, they they elephant they, ele- elephants with flamethrowers on them. No, but we do get that elephants cool. with we do get elephants with machine guns on them at the, oh, later on. I'm in reading the, this uh, book that I was super finishing over there. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get excited. Oh, okay, um, sorry. Does it mention Australia? Sorry, I'll stop interrupting you. It just doesn't mention Australia. No, oh, okay. no, we don't really come up. Um, no, China, China has been fractured. They they come up. America is run pretty much by these mega corporations and by a religious group called Grahamites, who <laughs> believe in um, effectively destroying anything that's not natural. I idolise Graham Chapman. That's right. <laughs> uh, the Grahamites. The Grahamites are, are purists, basically. Religious purists. Named then. after who? Graham. Graham. Graham who? It doesn't really go into detail <laughs> about that no. side of it, to be honest. Okay. Kennedy. Graham <laughs> Kennedy. You wouldn't be a purist if you were after Graham Kennedy. No. Graham Crackers, it is about food after all. Right? <laughs> and, um, Graham Kennedy was a Japan, Japan is also still a prominent um, society, um, which actually comes into play with um, the title character, uh, Amiko, the wind-up girl. Um, who we'll get to in a moment. Uh, we're intro- the, the book introduces us first to a character called Anderson Lake. He is in Thailand running one of these spring factories, but really the spring factory is just a cover for him to be in Thailand because he is trying. He he actually works for one of the mega corporations. Is that a spoiler? No, no, no. You, that's revealed pretty much in the first couple of chapters. Almost like on page one, if I remember. Yeah, it's almost straight away. You, you know exactly who Anderson Lake is. Right. Um, is he related to Ricky Lake? That's right. He's trying to get his hands on some of Thailand's seed because Thailand is producing their own seed. And Ooh. there is... Um, he's also there looking for an American bioengineer called Gibbons who is... <laughs> the believed- Funky Gibbon? Yes. Does he get called Funky Gibbon at some No, way? he doesn't. Oh, um, what a waste of opportunity. Gibbons, Gibbons was... is, And once again, this isn't spoiling everything. anything. Gibbons is, be- is believed to have been killed... But it's revealed that no, he's actually not dead. That he has defected to Thailand and that he is involved very heavily in their production of of food. He's some sort of scientific genius. Yeah, he's a he's a bioengineer, right. a genius bioengineer. Gotcha. So Anderson Lake is there, um, and 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 the the factory provides the cover for his actual mission, which is to get his hands on the seed. And um, he is introduced through his efforts to get this information to Amico. Amiko is a wind-up girl, basically a genetically engineered servant created by the Japanese. 
they design so engineers and she's flesh and flesh and bone engineer. She, she or is she's flesh. Okay, um, so she's not an android. No, she's not an android. She's, so she's not wind up in a sense like a cyberpunk thing. No, no. Um, it's more bioengineering. Everything in this book is about bioengineering. Okay. Gotcha. Um, there are telltale signs for the wind up girls that they're actually not real. The way they move is quite stilted, which I think is where the wind up term comes from. They move more like automatons, gotcha. old style automatons. Um, but they are genetically engineered to be subservient, uh, to fulfill the role of, um, you know, secretaries, maids, companions, and sex partners as well. Um, and Miko's situation is that she came to Thailand with her master, the person that had basically paid to have her created in the first place but he was forced to flee Thailand and he needed money so he sold her off and she now is stuck working in a brothel where in Thailand where she is absolutely humiliated in the most degrading possible ways as part of a stage performance um, and honestly the, the scenes where they describe what's happening to her in those are actually pretty harrowing moments in the book mm. um, the problem is is that she is genetically engineered to orgasm anytime anything does any anything sexual to her. So she can't help but orgasm, even though she's being treated like absolute dirt by these people. Um, and so, being engineered, she doesn't have any human rights or something like that. Is that what you're absolutely saying? not, and especially so not she's in property. Thailand. Mm. Especially yeah. not in Thailand at this point, because Thailand is also swept over. Uh, Thailand is, is completely insular. Anything coming from outside is seen as um, corrupting. Corrupting, and um, especially if it's something that's not natural, like a wind-up girl, like a genetically engineered being. So she literally has no rights. In fact, she has to. She lives in fear of being hunted by, um, basically, by the government ministry that destroys things coming into the country. She has to pretend in every way she can to be human, and she has to hide the telltale signs that she's not. Ah, I see. Um, gotcha. Yeah, and 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 the her owner, the guy that runs the brothel, actually has to pay bribes to ensure that she won't be arrested and taken away because she's a bit of a money maker for him. Gotcha. She's that weird novelty sex novelty thing, um, and most people are disgusted by having sex with her, but they do anyway because of I, I suppose because of the novelty of it. Mm. So Anderson Lake is then um, introduced to Amigo, and he actually becomes kind of obsessed with her. Yeah. Um, at the same time, Thailand itself is is going through this huge political upheaval where uh, different government ministries are really fighting for control of the country. Nominally, the country is ruled by a child princess, but no one knows whether she even exists. Like, no one ever sees her. She's constantly mentioned, mm. but you never actually know whether she's real or not or whether she was just made up to try and unite the people and mm. keep things quiet. So, just mind if I just break in for a second? Yeah, no, go for um, and because whilst you're talking, it sort of solidifies a lot of my problems with what the book is, um, which is that it, there's some interesting world building going on. Mm. But as you probably heard from Richo's description, there's actually not a lot happening. Mm. Um, yeah, the, and there's the, not a lot of really. And I want to bring that in now before you uh, before you go on. Um, partly to give you a break because you've been talking for a while. Yeah. Um, it's just the this the sort of the lethargic pl- pace at which this book um, works at 
Paolo Pachigalupi, I don't think is all that interested necessarily in plot and story. Um, but he doesn't compensate that by creating really interesting characters. Mm. Um, so Anderson, I, I kind of liked Emiko, um, but Anderson, I didn't really care about. It's a bit for me. It was a bit like um, Stan on Zanzibar, um, but without the the literary pyrotechnics that John Brunner actually brings to create the world. Fascinating world building, just really not a lot of story, and could have used a lot more character work. Mm. So, from the political side of things, the major dispute is between the trade ministry, who are kind of, not necessarily in the pocket of the big corporations, but want to work with the big corporations because they think that's going to save Thailand. Um, and the environment ministry, who are the ones that are going around burning things and trying to keep the country pure. Awesome. Um, and much of what is going on in the story actually involves those two, those two organisations fighting against one another and um, the, the build-up of tensions within the country because of that. Gotcha. Um, so to come back to Luke's point, um, and I think it is a good one, the world-building here is absolutely fascinating and it the novel does one of those things that I love to see in speculative science fiction, which is it takes an existing situation, mm. you know, our reliance on fossil fuels, global warming, you know, overpopulation, those sorts of things. Exactly, modify foods. And extrapolates on them. Mm. Where, where could this go? Mm. And that part of it I found really fascinating. Mm. Um, but I do agree with what Luke said, though, about the characters. Um, the writing... It doesn't have, the writing style here is, I find, a little detached. Mm. The characters are there, they're doing stuff, but you don't really become involved with their stories or invested in their stories with... Really, to a certain extent, with the exception being Amiko, mm. because what she is going through is so horrible that you can't help but but feel for her and, and gain sympathy for what you know for what she's going through. But even there, it's almost pity more than anything else yeah. that you feel for her and for her character. Um, Anderson Lake is, you know, a wheeler and dealer, but once again, there's not really much to him outside mm. of I'm looking for these seeds and I'm trying to. Um, you know, I, I, I'm trying to help my corporation. Mm. His journey, um, his journey should be one of um, coming to, to coming to empathise and understand. You know, the plight of Emiko in particular and um, some of the pop, broader populace mm. in Thailand. And it kind of does get there, but it's not a really, it's not a very fleshed out journey. Yeah. Um, it's more, you know, we kind of think that he's going through that more because we're seeing the horror of what is being perpetrated, yeah. um, rather than. Um, actually, experience having An- seeing Anderson go through an experience. I never felt that he really experienced much. He was very. It was always from a, a kind of a safe distance. Mm. Um, and like I said, um, Richo's point about it being detached, I think, is a very good one because mm. there is no point where I feel where I feel really drawn in by what's going on. Yeah. This feels like um, a short story writer trying to write his first novel. Yeah. In terms of the way it's structured and the way it's written, um, and that There's, I think Richo's its description there actually captures that. It's mm. not a very thought a very thought through storyline. It's more snippets of really good worlds that he's probably gone like and written shorter stories for in his head, and then tried to bring it all together into one novel, and it doesn't work. Yeah. There's um I think the the best example of that sort of situation. Mm. There's a character in the book called Hock Sing, mm. who is a um, Chinese expatriate who has had to flee Malaysia mm. uh, because the Chinese were massacred in Malaysia and 
having spent some time in Malaysia, there is uh, the, the Chinese can be seen as second-class citizens there, so I can understand why that element has come into the book. So he's fled to Thailand, and he's, he, he is um, Anderson Lake's um, factory manager. So he manages the Springs factory, and he's trying to look for any opportunity he can to um, to sort of better himself because previously he was actually he owned ships and so he, he was rich. The the problem is is that Hoxing as a character didn't really do much for me, but he's there to give you a part of the world and to show you what it's like. You know, the the, the Chinese are forced to live in at the tops of skyscrapers because they're second-class citizens and there's no power to get up the skyscrapers anymore. So the, mostly they've been abandoned and have become slums. So he gives you that side of, of, of the world, and that was kind of interesting. But as a character, I'm not really drawn. It's more like I'm observing the world through his eyes, and so the world is interesting, but the character isn't. The, there is a character called J.D., J.D., um, who is, works for the Environment Ministry, but is a former Mutai fighter and is a massive, like, like a legend here. And um, he and his um, um, second-in-command, uh, uh, who's a woman called Kanya, they're actually kind of interesting. Their story is kind of interesting. The, the, the ministries are incredibly corrupt, but JD's the guy that won't actually be corrupted, and he's the one that is genuinely trying... Like, he's doing what he's doing because he genuinely believes that what he's doing will, will help Thailand. And what happens in, to him in his story leads then into some of the major events that occur later on. But once again, he's really probably not there enough to really, to really sort of hook you in either, um, because this story does jump around between characters quite a lot. Um, now, having said that, it's not it's not a terrible novel from from my perspective. There was aspects of it that I absolutely loved, and the world building, especially, I think, is really fascinating. Mm. I think it, there just needed to be more of a story built around that world mm. with with characters that are a little bit more compelling. Yeah. Um, without giving anything away, I did find the end of the story interesting. Like right at the very end, the really the epilogue, mm. I suppose, was interesting. But at the same time, it also feels like it was just set up for um, a sequel. And really, you could have probably gotten to that point in the story much earlier and then told the, the rest of the story in this book. But, yeah, having said that, I didn't find it terrible. Mm. Um, like I said, there were elements of it, um, but it was it was a little bit cold for me as a book. Mm. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm glad I read this book. It is interesting. It is part of what's called biopunk now. Uh, so it's my first biopunk novel. You've been biopunked. I've been biopunked. It need to label things. It's, it's bizarre. It's really bizarre to me. Well, they do. They do describe uh, the writer as being a uh, successor to to Gibson and to the cyberpunk movement of the eighties. I'm not sure if I'd go that far, but um, but look, it wasn't bad. Um, you know, I found it relatively entertaining, and I'll give it uh, two and a half hmm. books. Um, yeah, I pretty much agree with everything which I said, including this This book was published in 2009. <laughs> um, this is probably one of the books that have started the, um, the sad puppies and rabid puppies people on their their quest to... I was going to bring that up myself, yeah. Their quest to fill um, the Hugo Ballots with um, people like Kevin J. Anderson, John C. Wright, and Jim Butcher, um, which is a discussion we should probably have at another point, not right now. Um, I Like I said, it, it's, not a, it's not an awful novel, um, but it's not 
mind blowing. Um, I give this two looks. We should talk about sand puppies stuff. Yes, we actually, because I actually, I, I'm in a sad position where I agree with them, but they're such a bunch of arseholes. Yes, but you'd probably agree more with the sad puppies people. Yeah, oh, not the angry puppies. Rabid puppies. Rabid puppies. Is, they're just scum. Right? Yeah, they just just see like I, just, I have no time for that shit. But I do I do actually agree with the sad puppies philosophy. But I just I, I, I think I it'll be principle <laughs> more than the philosophy. Yeah. Awesome, thanks guys. Uh, next up we've got uh, Crystal and myself, and we'll be reviewing Angels and Spaceships, otherwise known as Starshine, by Frederick Brown. For a minute then I thought I'd read the wrong book. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool. it was, uh, we mentioned it um, when we announced that we were doing doing these books uh, in our previous Dust Jacket. I did mention that uh, it's called Angels and Spaceships in the Colonies. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, Starshine in uh, the United States. Commonwealth might be a more modern term for that. <laughs> Sorry, the Commonwealth. In fact, the United States is a colony. Well, that's how they refer to us as the colonies. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I suppose you're right. So, the Commonwealth, the Commonwealth nations, and the mother yeah, country. It's angels, it's angels and spaceships. Um, so, the, but the the version that I've got is, uh, comes from uh, America. Actually, I bought it on eBay. It's a Bantam Books twenty five cent version. <laughs> it's one of my pride. It's one of my pride and joys. When I usually I carry I, when I uh, carry books around in my bag uh, to read on the train and stuff like that. Normally I just chuck them in my bag. It's like yeah, whatever. But this one I had it wrapped in a plastic bag <laughs> just in case something spilled on it. I was like, it was pretty bad. I don't know. Anyway, um, this was uh, this was my choice as, as part of our crew picks. And uh, actually, I'm not too sure why I chose it. I think we read a we read a Frederick Brown short story in our short story episode mm-hmm. and I was uh, I was quite excited so I tracked it down I'm pretty sure that's what, what it was I can't remember now but I reckon that's what it was yeah I'm pretty sure that's what it was and you know I'm a, I'm a fan I like I like uh, Frederick's style uh, and this one was the the one that that you know all my research pointed to as being the, the best example of his work so it's the one I grabbed uh, it is a collection of short stories it has Quite a few. I mean, they say they go from. Well, I mean, I mean, Frederick Brand, of course, is famous for his one line, two, his one line, two sentence uh, horror story, uh, which is um, the last man on earth is sitting in a room and there's a knock on the door. Um, so it has a very, he has a very uh, Twilight Zone-ish sort yes, of stint at the end uh, type style to him which of course I'm, go- I'm automatically going to be drawn to uh, being the huge Twilight Zone fan that I am did he write for the Twilight Zone at any point? Uh, he didn't write specifically for the Twilight Zone uh, but he's they've, they've taken some of his ideas and stuff like that um, he's also he's also quite famous for the episode of Star Trek called Arena now he didn't he didn't actually write the script for Arena but the, the, what, what happened was the the person who did write Arena uh, once they realised that it was very similar to one of uh, Frederick's stories, uh, because this is back in the good old days when you know it wasn't all corporate greed, mm-hmm. they they decided to give him a writing credit and some money as sort of compensation. So, oh, you know, sorry about that. And so, and so we're and just on a sidetrack, they did that then, but it took Harlan Ellison two or three decades yeah, to get his money. <laughs> <laughs> The Terminator is such an obvious rip-off that I just, I just can't believe James Cameron's like, oh, no, 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 no that eventually... For, not, for, not for that, for the City oh, of Rich Road. Oh, also for City of Rich Road, but I'm just, it's just, it's just that one Harlan Ellison story that always just gets me. It's like, is, it, is it more because Harlan Ellison would 
annoy people. Probably. Yeah, I think it's more because he's so annoying. To put it mildly. Okay, he has sued, I think, everybody in the world. He's still lost, though. He's rather litigious. I'm Um, pretty sure that he sued me once, and I probably lost. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so back to Frederick. So, yeah, so he's... So, of course, I mean, as, as... Big fans of Star Trek as we are, as we as we've mentioned, I think every episode um, in Arena is uh, is a cool episode. Uh, but so yeah, so it has a very sort of Twilight Zoneish sort of sort of style to his writing that I just uh, that, I, that I really really like. And um, and this, uh, like I said, this this is a, a collection of, of his short stories. And there's well, it's a very quick quick one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen stories in one. Quite easy to read thin book. I mean, that's pretty good. One of the stories is less than a page. That actually, there will actually be one of my only negatives, and this is actually because it's, it's nothing to do with his writing. It's just whoever actually put this book together. Um, I would have had each story start on a new page, but for some reason, this one, it, the story, you know, once one story ends, another story starts, regardless of where on the page that it is. I find that kind of annoying. A, it could have been a budget thing with the printing at the yeah, time. I th- yeah, I'd say it was. So that's something and, and, and really, given, given that he's famous for writing stories that are only, like, often one to three pages long, maybe they just thought, yeah, let's cram it all in. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think it's more Crystal said, actually, is, is more budget yeah. to sort of that's just reduce the page. That's why they sell it for 25 cents. Yeah. <laughs> 25 cents <laughs> anyway um, yeah so it does have it does have I mean there's there's a, a story it's essentially a page and I, um, it's it's awesome stuff I assume that Frederick Brown worked in a printing industry at some point oh yeah I'd, I'd definitely say that because two of the stories here are you know, very knowledgeable about very, how it works very knowledgeable um, anyway so yeah so 17 stories and uh, almost all of them I won't say all of them but almost all of them excellent it's great value for money in terms of in terms of uh, your twenty five cents spent. <laughs> but, I, would, I would say all of them are excellent. It's just some of them are more my cup of tea than others. No, oh, really? No, oh, well, that's that's very interesting for you to say. Um, it's a very Orwellian stance, there, <laughs> yes, may I say? I liked it. That was good. Um, oh, in that case, well, then in that case, do you want to you want to proceed? I was hoping you'd go first. Uh, oh, okay, it, cool. it would um, um, jog my memory of what's actually in there. Yeah, so well, I mean, as, like I said, it's, I, I really, I, uh, I really like his writing style, um, and it's he, he was the master of, of sort of like the end of story, end of story stin, um, bested probably only by Rod Serling himself, I'd say. Out of the seventeen stories, uh, we'll go through very, very briefly for all of them. Right? Okay. okay, so so it starts off with uh, Patton. Which is one of my favourites, and is, is not even a page long; it's a half a page, uh, which has uh, alien invasion. Um, next is Placid is a crazy place about, uh, which deals with uh, people trying to survive on this planet that has these very weird physical laws. Um, it's a comedy, and, it's, and, they, they, and they sort of, and he sort of style sort of runs the gamut of of screwball comedy comedy to. Serious, you know, sci-fi sort of exactly sort of stuff. That was one of the few ones where I got what the thing was well before the end. Yeah, but it's, yeah. It's, yeah it's, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, he's, he's he's talented enough to sort of cover multiple genres. Yeah, that didn't that didn't didn't detract from the story in any way, shape, or form. Um, Answer, which is another one of my favourites, uh, which again is not even a page, half a page sort of stuff. Which sort of the classic story of. Uh, the computer, the bigger, the, the powerful computer is. I, I strongly believe Douglas Adams has read that story. One hundred percent true. There's, there's no <laughs> doubt that the the question should have the second question if they'd gotten that far yeah. would have been. It's what, basically <laughs> the ultimate question. Yeah, the yeah. ultimate question. <laughs> yeah. um, the, the next story is uh, the the one that I actually uh, dislike. Actually disliked. So this is um is it's I can't even pronounce it. It's it Etowen Shrudlu. 
yeah, and basically it, just uh, a, a gobbledygook typed on. To yeah, it's it's yeah. it's the longer story in the book and deals with a um, an actual, what's the name of the machine? It's a like, printing press. No, but it's got an actual name. It's not just a printing press. It's a li- lithograph for a lithograph, something like that. I don't know. Um, Let's just call it pretty. Linotype. It's a linotype machine, uh, which obviously Frederick Brown is a big fan of because two of the stories involve them. Um, and it's uh, it, it appears to be malfunctioning, but it's actually it's actually not. Dun, dun, dun. It's actually through the interventions of a, a mysterious character, it, 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 it's become sentient. Yes. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, Preposterous, uh, which is one of his uh, comedy stories, which, yeah, I don't know, doesn't really work for me. I don't think it's all that funny. But uh, Armageddon, which is uh, another one of my favourites. Uh, yeah, the End of the World. Uh, Politeness. Um, the Waveries. Oh, The Waveries, is that, that's the... That's the um... The aliens, the wave-length aliens, yeah, they come to Earth, and because they're on Earth, they, they can't actually broadcast um, radio or television anymore because the the wavelengths are all. Oh, I guess there's, they've encompassed the Earth, so we can't broadcast anything. It's a, and all we pick up is them. Yeah, and then um, it destroys the electricity on Earth. So uh, oh, the, the people of Earth have to find a new way to do things they go back to uh horses and they use steam so it becomes a steampunk world yeah 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 uh re- yeah, reconciliation uh, about uh, a couple who uh reconcile at the end of the world uh, the hat trick uh, search letter to a phoenix just another one of the good ones daisies uh, one of my favorites um which is actually kind of a it's kind of a noir. It's a, it's a noir sci-fi story, which is uh, awesome. Uh, the angelic angleworm uh, sentence. Another one of my favourites. Uh, the Yehudi principle and solipsist. I like the uh, Yehudi principle and and its sort of Mobius band sort of way it works. Well, we'll go through the ones that you like. Well, that one. It's just it's hard to talk about that one without giving away the thing at the end, but. Um, You'd have to read it for yourself, and it, it wouldn't take you very long to read it. It's quite short. But basically, um, one of the characters has invented what, what to our modern minds, but might be like a virtual reality thing mm. to put on your head, and and whatever you want done happens. And uh, it, it turns out that what it's actually doing is speeding up time, so you're actually doing it yourself. Um, but the, there's a real twist kick at the end that it sort of, sort of feedbacks on to itself it's it's quite a quite a work of genius that one i thought yeah the the the, the twist end the twist end thing is uh is, 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 the, is the thing that grabs me for all of them and um i i don't want to i don't want to give any any of them away i mean it's, it's like you said it's hard to talk about them so but all of them could work as twilight zone episodes <laughs> you know it's, you know, it's, it's very great great stuff um and uh, yes, yeah, so, so since since reading this, I've I've moved on and uh, read another collection of short stories that he has, and he's uh, he's fast becoming uh, one of my favourite authors. I think just he just he just his style speaks to me. It's a concise style, but it's still intriguing. I mean, it's funny because I really enjoy the shorter stories, and and there's a cu- couple of longer ones in there, and I'm starting to think, oh, this is actually too long. It's too much work. <laughs> but it's actually worth getting to the end, especially with the, the... I forget what the one's called with the young man who was trying to get married. It's long for Frederick Brown, but mm. it sort of keeps you reading because you keep wanting to know what 
what the thing is. Why why are all these strange things happening to this young man? And the and the thing at the end is sort of I thought, oh really? But it's also oh that's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> and again, again, it's really hard to talk about without giving it away. Actually, I will, I will, I will give one of away because I just, I just think it's the one that would speak to Richo and, and look the most. I think, which is, which is daisies. So, spoiler alert: this is the daisies one. Um, I won't actually, I won't read it out. But essentially, what it is, which because I, I just think it's hilarious, is what it is is the scientist, uh, a scientist and his wife, and the scientist creates uh, the ability to hear. And uh, plant communication. So, oh, so plants speak, and he's he's created a device that he can't quite speak to them, but he can at least hear what they're thinking. Um, and he's really excited about it. And uh, he's uh, he, he he drags his wife down to down to his uh, his workroom, and and he's got you know all these flowers everywhere and stuff. And his assist, his uh, young female assistant is there, and uh, he's like you know so listen listen to the plants. And so she puts the the, the headset on. And then after a couple of minutes, she, uh, without saying a word, takes the headset off, pulls a gun out of her handbag, and shoots them both dead. And uh, and the last the last the last line is, it turns out the daisies do tell. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a really good one. And when I first started reading it, it reminded me of that episode of In Search of. I was wondering if <laughs> same thing. I was like, <laughs> I was like, come on. <laughs> But then, yeah, but then it's like just pulls the gun out of the handbag. I was like, that's awesome. That's <laughs> <laughs> his, his most nourish. Anyway, so um, I, I uh, highly recommend uh, checking out Frederick Brown's work if you're a fan of that sort of Twilight Zone sort of thing. Um, it's, he's a, it's, a, it's a master class on, on how to do the steam, the, the twist, the twist end. You know, M. M Night Sh- Shamamalalan is obviously a big fan. Shyamalan. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> I don't pronounce his name on purpose because he's scum. Uh, so, but uh, so, so, like I said, I, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I don't think they're uh, they're all they're all brilliant. I mean, there are, I think there are some that are better than others. Uh, so for that reason, I can't give it a perfect score, but I am giving it a four out of five looks. I will give it a, a four and a half out of five looks. Um, I think they're all brilliant in their own way. It's just that personal taste thing that I like some better than others. Mm. Yeah. Cool. You guys, Fred, any Frederick Brown? No, 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 I've, I've mainly heard of him through his influence on other writers. Yeah. Because mm. one, one of his stories is actually um, narrated by Rose in um, The Kindly Ones. Cool. Is The Kindly Ones? Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, he does show yeah. up the same Yeah, and, cool. and, and apparently, and I actually only found this out by, by reading up on him for the show, the elderly writer... Um, who has Calliope at the start of the Calliope story? Oh, he's yeah, apparently he's, Frederick Brown. He's basically, in, he's yeah, based yeah, on yeah. him. Yeah, you know, um, cool. And um, also because Philip K. Dick um, described what's the the Waveries, wasn't it? Yeah, the Waveries as as possibly the most significant science fiction story ever produced. It's pretty cool. Yeah, which does bring me to another point, which is next month's books. Oh, yeah. Excellent. This 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 sings in very well because um, from my perspective, uh, next month's book is actually Philip K. Dick's The Man in the High Castle. Awesome. So, um, which is why I brought him up just now. (laughs) (laughs) See what I did there? Yeah, the segue master. See what you did there? Um, Cool. Awesome. Man in the High Castle. Good. Yeah, it's been look. It's been a long time since we've we've revisited Philip K. Dick, and I think it's well past time that we go back. And so, The Man in the High Castle. Everybody, I'm tired of Dick. 
I see what you did there. I was going to say I love Dick, but I thought that's, that's, that's crossing the line. <laughs> yeah, that's, okay. Um, and so the next uh, staff pick is Luke. Yep. Um, Who Fears Death by Nidhi Okorafo. Cool. Moving on. <laughs> cool. So as we said at the start, this is our 150th episode. Yay! Yay. Well, there was much rejoicing. There was much rejoicing. So let's, uh, let's talk about some of, uh, some of the highlights from uh, 101 to 149. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 150 stretch the memory I went through and, and got some uh, so as we did in uh, episode 100 I won't, we won't go to, uh, quite as extensively as we did for 100 but um, some factoids episode 100 was July 2014 uh, 149 was June 2015 our longest episode was episode 139 which was an hour and 48 minutes and that was our special guest appearance of Jazz Twemlow uh, we talked about the Star Wars trailer. We had Clash of Champions Seasons 2 Final, which was Tilk versus Deadpool, which Deadpool. was awesome. Oh, Deadpool. Bloody Deadpool. <laughs> and uh, we did our first recast, which was The Avengers. That was a lot of fun. Our shortest episode was 106, 106 which was 44 minutes. Uh, we talked about the Milo Minara Spider-Woman cover controversy, and we pit Aragorn versus Connor McLeod before uh, we started doing the seasons. And there was only one. There was, there was only one winner. <laughs> Do you remember who the winner was? Aragorn. It was Aragorn. Uh, our most downloaded episode was one, episode 100, Yay. funnily enough. And our most common search words. Oh, my God. This was hilarious in episode, in episode 100 when we did this. So this one is, is I, I, can't, I can't figure out why this is, but our most common short search words were Cumberbatch, Turkey Pitches, <laughs> Turkey pitches. <laughs> we should do our top five turkey pitches. Gumby. Gumby. Freddy Krueger. And the verses. So the verses I can understand, right? Because the verses, yeah. it's every single Clash of Champions has the word verses in it. Gumby's C- got to be... Cumberbatch I can understand. Mm-hmm. Gumby's got to be from Luke's review of um, uh, the uh, Masters of the Universe. <laughs> I don't think... I used that um, two episodes ago. I don't think I used it... In the actual, I don't recall using it. In I my think actual you did. Re- I, re- I, did. I, I remember. Okay. Well, they're, the, they're the words that got that led people to us. Turkey pictures. Turkey pictures. We should change pitches. the podcast name to Turkey pictures. Well, I, I can only assume that's because of Mickey's fake interview with the turkey for Thanksgiving oh. episode. I can only assume that's what it is. And it's the same with Gumby, which had the, 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 the interview, interview with Gumby. With Gumby. <laughs> Freddy okay. Krueger, though, he's only mentioned in that one episode where we do the Clash of Champions. With the girl from Hack Slash versus all the all the uh, serial killers, so I don't. Know, it's bizarre. It's bizarre to me. But anyway, that's what it was. You can't you can't argue with the facts. Well, that's just what we talk about. Some of our um, highlights, highlights and lowlights. Now, lowlights is that uh, I have to edit these bloody things every every Sunday. <laughs> uh, that's my only, that's my only lowlight, really. And a lowlight for the rest of us is we have to hear about how we have to edit these bloody things. <laughs> You'll listen to it and you'll like it. <laughs> uh, but far, as far as highlights, um, my highlights uh, would be episode 139, uh, the, the episode that Jazz was on. Jazz was uh, Jazz actually stayed the night, the night before, and, and then did the episode with us uh, that morning, and uh, he was a delight to have. He was a, a cool, cool dude, and uh, damn, he was funny. Um, and as I said, the episode itself, I mean, there's a reason why it goes for that long. It's just we just had so much fun. I just uh, I felt bad cutting some of the, some of the stuff out, so it was really cool. Um, I really liked uh, the introduction of the new segment recast. Um, it was an awesome idea, um, and 
thank you, thank you again, Daniel. And uh, and uh, we've done it. We've done it ourselves since when we did uh, Lord of the Rings, and we'll do it again. Uh, where I'm thinking we do uh, Star Wars, yeah. which is suggested Star Wars. I think we should do A New Hope. Um, and uh, uh, my interviews with uh, I did yeah, a, a few interviews, uh, but my interviews with Keith and Bianca from Wormwood uh, were awesome. Keith was awesome, an awesome dude, and. Uh, and uh, Bianca was uh, hilarious. <laughs> but anyway, that's me. Me, is it? Okay. Yeah, you can go next. Um, my favourite moment, and I had to double-check that this was even the last 50 episodes, is actually a recording live in New York. Um, and my my favourite moment is the realisation that when we're recording with Bo, he's actually in exactly the same position as we normally have the iPad. <laughs> 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 I looked over and there's his little face looking up at me like... <laughs> That's where the iPad dolly is. I know because he was he was because we were sort of around the bed yeah. and he was on his knees on leaning on, on the bed leaning on the bed. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just a little place there where the iPad usually is. It's very funny. Um, and and um, where we mentioned we were in New York and uh, you know you'll probably hear sirens and on cue there were sirens. <laughs> nice. In the New York minute. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that wasn't hard. There were sirens every five minutes. Oh, yeah. It's just... It's, it's, you could set your clock to them. It was ridiculous. I just couldn't believe how many sirens... In 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 Melbourne, if you hear a siren, everybody looks. In New York, nobody pays any attention because it's just every five seconds. Um, my favourite episode was also episode 139, um, not just because Jazz was on it with his... Uh, awesome impressions and everything, but because of the the recasting of the Avengers, I think that was the most exciting thing we've done on the show for quite some time. And I think I had the most enjoyment. Actually, it's the most fun I've had researching anything for the for the show. I spent and a good the Bob comic book characters too. Really. I know, but I spent a good um, four hours or something just going through actors from the eighties and working out who would be best for the part and looking up what they looked like during that period and it was just a, a lot of fun. And my most annoying moment. I'm not actually sure whether this came within the last fifty episodes or not, but it's the it's not necessarily an annoying moment, but it's the most stressful moment I think that we've ever had on a show it's in in production. The there's always been a problem with my voice being lower than everybody else's. And um, one of the things we tried to fix that was um, we tried adding a second microphone. Mm. And I tested it and it worked fine. And then David got home and I showed him and we tested it again and it worked fine. So we decided to do it for the next episode. And we recorded the whole thing. But then when we played back, the second track from that microphone was like three or four seconds behind the first track and it sounded really tinny and horrible and the whole thing just it was it seemed like for a few minutes and it was ruined until I realized we could just delete the second track and you could still hear me faintly but you could still hear me so it was saved <laughs> it was but, stressful but, but it was stressful for a little while there I, we thought but probably would have been the first episode ever that would have just not gone out because we couldn't save it yeah. So yeah, that was a stressful. Oh, I'm quite proud of the fact that we've never missed an episode. No. Even even in New York, we still had it all worked out. Yeah. And uh, it was a bit of a bit of a stress. Yeah. But I mean, it is what it is. What can you do? Yeah, we could have just did a quick fifteen minute episode, just the two of us together. We've had yeah. a couple of times where it was just really two of us, which is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, and just to go, to go back to my highlights, the only reason I didn't mention New York and 
and meeting Bo and all that sort of yeah. stuff. Because I've said it all. I've said it all. It's so, uh, a bit of a, but of course, that is one of the highlights. Of course, yeah. you know, actually meeting Bo and and, and Beckett was awesome. The realization here that hey, that's what the iPad is. <laughs> he's, a, he's a real person. I do like, I do like how he was with a little like food. He's a handsome man. <laughs> Richard? Um, well, my favourite episode, uh, and not just because of the episode itself, but because of the preparation work, was the actual recasting of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I, I think I've had more fun working all of that out before the show than I have with anything else we've really done, except maybe when we did the, the 50th episode many, many yeah. moons ago. But, um, with the professor. Well, with the professor. Oh, the amount of research that we did. That. We, we should, that we should get that professor well. back sometimes. <laughs> yeah, we should. We should. We should get him back. See, when he's become a bit more uh, uh, cynical in the 70s, maybe. <laughs> but um, I, I actually caught up with some movie friends of mine who are real experts on the 60s and was running a lot of my choices through them. And we had this really great night of uh, going backwards and forwards. But the other thing I loved about that episode, first of all, was seeing everybody else's choices for the different uh, eras as well, and their justifications for that was really cool. But um, one of the real highlights for me, though, um, I love Luke's impersonations. Yeah, me too. His, his impersonation of Rod Serling uh, is still an absolute classic. still great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, when we were doing the Lord of the Rings episode and I suggested... Uh, uh, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore mm. and then you went into this whole what if a lot of the rings was done by those two um, and that it's was very easy to do that you just have to get it very down low but it was hilarious like it was spot on. and I, I kind of knew you would you would go there and so when, when I first came up with the idea I thought Luke's probably going to do this because I know you're a big fan of, of Cook and Moore but um, yeah but that was awesome absolutely loved it um, and other than that just generally um you know, my, my part of the podcast is is Dust Jacket. I, I continue to love doing it, and I, I love the, the new structure we have where I'm often debating points with different members of the crew over different the different stories that we read, and, and that's that's been a really good change-up change, change up, uh, to just do the, the two-on-two thing. Um, and it's, it's great, and I, I love the support we still get from it, and I love the fact that you guys go out and you do the reading as well, and we have some really interesting and, and often lively debates about that. That's just been awesome. So it's, it's nice to see my baby is still is still there and still going strong after having fifty episodes. This guy, it is out there, the the, the Dash Jacket episodes are almost downloaded episodes. Yeah. All right, it's episode episode one hundred obviously. Yeah. I mean the other reason episode one hundred was downloaded the most was uh, it's, it was the winner of the bag the, the the massive the mega bag of swag. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and the winner as well. The so. mega bag of swag. Look. Um, I don't know. You calling M. Night Shyamalan scum a few months ago was now a highlight for me. <laughs> yeah, one day we're going to have to debate why he is actually scum. <laughs> and not just because you don't like his movies. I mean, you've described him as scum. That's, 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 that's pretty harsh. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, just you know, all those moments where you know, you, everyone here tries to convince me that they're right about their assertions as to why they <laughs> like stuff, and me happily telling them that you know they're incorrect in their assumptions. So, generally, generally, when it comes to books, I disagree <laughs> with everyone just about books, except for Wind Up Girl. Yeah, we agreed on Wind Up Girl. Yeah. strangely enough. Maybe we should burn that book now. It we was need, weird. We need to get another Stranger in a Strange Land situation where the debate was fierce. <laughs> wasn't that fierce. It was still love. Mm, really? Could you say that? Um, <laughs> no, I th- uh, conversations we had with the Roche, not just Jazz, but when we had the um, uh, the other two members of the Roche um, on as well. Um, and also talking to Brian Rathbone about his um, 
his process and yeah, uh, the um, differences between the creative side of writing and attempting to get the self-publishing side of things happening. I thought that was actually quite a um, quite a good episode as well. Yep. Uh, the, generally, the interviews I think have been um, probably the, the strong points because it's given us something other than ourselves to bounce off of. Yeah, um, and bringing other people into the you know the little world that is this lounge room, I guess. And he stuck around for the top five as well. Which yeah, was he awesome. did. The, the, <laughs> yeah. the top five was good. And uh, the, the, there have been some of the top fives as well, just trying to see the different things that people do try and come up with has been interesting. Awesome. Uh, well, let's finish up uh, episode 152 with our coming soon. In cinemas July 9th, we get Madame Bovary. Yet another adaptation. Flaubert this time instead of Thomas Hardy, but... Yep, there you go. Um, and... Magic Mike XXL. <laughs> the movie for the ladies. I didn't see the first Magic Mike. Um, I did. Isn't this the third Magic? Is this Not the second, second one or the third second. one? Oh, okay, for good. the ladies. This isn't that extra, extra large. Yeah. No, no, Magic Mike is, if you don't know, it's Channon Tatum and, you know, getting doing strip male strippers and stuff. Because Channon Tatum actually was a male stripper at one point, or a, a male dancer. And so this is basically... It's got like a semi-biography type sort of thing, but it's basically just him and a bunch of other, you know, attractive guys getting the gear off. No, <laughs> does do it fair. Does it shock you to know that in the first one, Matthew McConaughey was it? No. <laughs> was, was that crazy? Normally does though. It but be still looking good. Was that crazy? Was, was that him prepping though for all the roles where he had to look sickly? That's <laughs> 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 basically re-researched his career by not looking well. He did all right. So anyway, that's. Uh, Another another film for the ladies. But anyway, that's uh, that's episode one fifty. So it's uh, that's sexist man. <laughs> why is it sexist? It could and, be a film for the men too, and for men, certain men. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> best best to end this conversation <laughs> right now. <laughs> I'm a Channing, Channing fan. That's fine. Anyway, so that's uh, episode one fifty. It's uh, it's been it's awesome. It's uh, it's obviously it's, it's a special one for us and and. They said we'd never make it. We finally came through. Uh, no one ever actually said that we wouldn't make it, but it's, it, it is. I mean, I mean, it's, like I said uh, at the start, we've you know sort of seen me joking around. We we do it for you, and uh, it is it's a lot of fun. And despite my uh, complaining <laughs> about, about the editing <laughs> and stuff, and um, we do it, we do. I mean, we get together every week, and you know, it, uh, one, one week it's these guys, and the off week it's Bo, and and uh, we just we enjoy doing it. I enjoy it mainly because I get to be with my friends. It's, it's, and I get to spout my opinions, which is cool. And, look, thank you to all the listeners for listening. Mm. If you weren't listening, we wouldn't be able to do this anymore. And well, we'd still do it, just nobody would be listening. That's right. And that, would be, that would be a shame. <laughs> that would be a shame. If it, ever, if it ever gets to that point where we're, we're doing it, I check out, we get to the episode 200, I check out the downloads list, and it's just zero, 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 zero. <laughs> well, that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's, it's just time to call it quits, everybody. And just a big thanks to also to our Facebook followers. Um, our Facebook likes have uh, gone through the roof. Uh, I, uh, it may, I mean, mainly, I, I suppose, because of uh, just how popular Clash of Champions has become, uh, which is awesome. But yeah, so like Richard said, thank you to uh, everybody who's listening, and uh, you're all awesome. Here's to another... Another 50 episodes. Stay with us to episode 200. It, it's a journey. <laughs> well, that's a bit from the crew. And me. And the crew. Who are part of me. And the crew. That's getting weird and creepy now. <laughs> Richard. Well, given that you clearly don't remember us hosting episodes. And yes, I'm still bitter about that. <laughs> I'm still bitter. An hour later, I'm still upset. <laughs> Look. Just remember, this is not the off week. <laughs>
<laughs> I don't know which way was it insulting to go on the off week I don't know I felt, I felt bad that's right Bo you're off <laughs> <It's> the off. <laughs> you're and, the off week guy <laughs> well I call it the odds and evens weeks that's and better. Crystal well I thought this was the original flavour and Bo's the new exciting flavour that's right yeah this is the original flavour but true. not like new coke like he's a good flavour it's a good, like a good new flavour just the same flavour with a new kind of packaging it's Bo life <laughs> bye bye You've been listening to NCP. Thank you for being a part of our crew. If you would like to support the show, you can use the Amazon widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. If you have any feedback, please go to nerdculturepodcast.com forward slash contact us where you will find a list of the many different ways you can interact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.